Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast created to enlighten, inspire, and inform those who work in or depend on the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, it's Damian Mason. Thank you for joining us here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. As you know, brought to you by me, Damian Mason, and with great guests and interesting topics every week, this one is probably going to be one that you're going to need to write down like notes because this has got some really good stuff. I've got a guest today named Delaney Howell. Delaney, you may know if you keep up in the world of agriculture, she is the host of Ag News Daily. It's a daily podcast where they bring information and guests uh, about the business of agriculture. She also so she also does speaking like me and she and I have crossed paths a number of times so we're friendly and she picked up my book food fear how fear is ruining your dinner and why you should celebrate eating she got a copy of it she had me on her podcast and I said you ought to come on mine and tell me what you liked and disliked about my book also she's going to talk about ag communications what we do right what we do wrong how we can do it better she's going to give us some forward-looking uh, vision if you will about this industry that we all love of the world's most important endeavor, agriculture. Delaney Howell, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Thank you. That was quite the introduction, Damien. Well, we didn't do a full introduction. I gave you some uh, I gave you some background, mm -hmm. but here's the thing. Tell us about the rest. She's from Eastern Iowa, this Eastern girl. Iowa. That's she's right. from Columbia. Eastern Iowa. She's she's like a smart young she's like a smart young woman. There's a lot of that in agriculture. We were very blessed in that regard. She's not even 30 years old yet. She's like 25 or 26 years old. She has a master's degree. Give it to me. You went to Northwest Missouri State. You had to leave Iowa to go to school because you already learned everything Iowa could teach you, right? Uh, I just wanted to go. So my dad said, do you want to be a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond? And I wanted to be a big fish in a little pond. So I went to Northwest Missouri State, which was a great school. They've got a great ag program. I originally thought I was going to teach agriculture and got into a classroom for a practicum course and said, nope, this is not for me. And so decided to switch to a general ag degree with a broadcasting minor and also an international studies minor. And then I also did my master's, as you mentioned there, from Texas Tech in agricultural communications. So ag is yeah. what I've lived and breathed my, literally my entire life. Sure, that's a fantastic story. Obviously, most of us in the business of agriculture have a tie, as I always point out, that is starting to change. There's not these large farm families like I was raised in, and also there's just a need to bring some people in from away from the ag background, but you and I have it. Also, little fish, big pond, big fish, little pond. I went to the school that let me in. That's what I say. It was nothing about fishing or little or big. It was just, where would you actually allow me to show up and, and take some classes? Oh, All right. So you're an ag broadcaster now, and you and you have that background. You're going to be a teacher, but you kind of do teach because you, like me, go around uh, and talk to agricultural audiences. One of the things that I say all the time, Delaney, and you agree with me, I say that if agriculture as an industry were an individual, we'd be the insane guy over on the park bench muttering to himself. We talk to ourselves about ourselves. We tell ourselves how hard we work. We tell ourselves how righteous we are. We tell ourselves what a great job we do. We tell ourselves why GMOs are okay or why our farms, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm an educator, but I always say, hey, 
I also tell my suburban friends out here in Phoenix the realities of food production. I tell uh, non-ag audiences that I'm in front of about the realities of what happens in this industry and why they shouldn't fear their food. I wrote a book on that title. Do you agree? We talk to ourselves too much. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, but I do agree. But I think we kind of have to at the same time because we feel like there are all these people that are coming against us, coming against agriculture. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think they're just the loudest voices that unfortunately we hear. Because it's like 5% of the population is vegan or vegetarian or whatever, as you mentioned in your book, but they're just the loudest voices. They're the noisiest people that are polluting what we think about agriculture. The truth is from the activist groups, the humane societies of the United States, uh, the PETAs of the world, the environmental working group, the, the groups that generally make their fundraising off of demonizing and villainizing agriculture, they're not even 5%. They're in general like less than 1%, but they are very loud voices and they, they make the, they do an amazing public relations job, Delaney. They convince mm -hmm. the world that they are a more mainstream group than they really are. So we talk to ourselves, and I get that. I mean, I don't talk to ag audiences, but I don't, I don't always tell them just what they want to hear. I guess that's part of my, my, uh, my unique offering is I tell them some outside perspective, and it's not always received well, but here's what we're up against. This is some of the reality. Um, what are we doing wrong when it comes to communicating? You're a professional communicator. You have a master's degree. You're a broadcaster. What are we doing wrong? I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head in your book when you say that consumers don't care about science. So it's, I found this meme and I like to include it in my speeches because it's really funny, but it basically outlines from about 1950, 1960, in that time period, it was scientists telling us about our food. Then in the late 1980s, 1990s, it was a PhD student. And then in the 2000s, it was the media. And now it's Karen on Facebook telling us what we should eat and what, how we should raise our kids and doing all this stuff. But it's like that, I mean, that alone paints the picture very clearly that we don't care about science. Consumers don't care about science. They like the emotional aspect of it. And even just like getting into the millennial generation, which yes, I am a part of, but we're a generation that demands instant gratification. We don't want to learn about the science behind it. And so I think that that's part of the reason that we're struggling to communicate this. But then the other piece of that I think is why should they care about their food? Like why do we expect them to care? And so I think the story needs to be changed to thanking them that they're even eating or supporting animal agriculture. I know that sounds really silly, but they're, when we live in this era of what I call the spoiled American consumer, when you literally could put anything on your plate that you could possibly imagine, we should be thanking them that they're choosing to pick animal protein or corn or soybeans or whatever to put that on their plate. Yeah, you know, uh, this is a theme that my listeners have heard before uh, because, again, this goes a little against the grain. I'm probably uh, angered a few of uh, the folks in our industry when I say, let's get past this bullshit of thank a farmer. Thank a farmer, thank a farmer, thank a farmer. I'm like, well, you know what? I also, I just, I just went and took stuff to the cleaners because I was traveling. Do I need, you know what? I looked at their hours. The cleaners that I take my shirts to, they are in there, I believe at 68 hours per week. So should I thank them? Oh, farmers work all day and all night. Bullshit. You know what? If you're a livestock producer, maybe. If you're a grain farmer, come on. Let's be honest here. There's a reason why you have 
off-farm jobs. Um, so I think the dry cleaner. What about the, the person that's working at the little diner that is in there getting $2.29 an hour plus tips and is having to work, uh, you know, a 50-hour week? This thing about thanking a farmer, we should also realize that this is our business, and you and I talk about that. I think we, from a communication standpoint, thankfully, are getting away from thank a farmer and starting to be more realistic about it and saying things like, hey, this is our business. Uh, we will produce whatever you want. And that's something I've been advocating for for a long time. We can produce whatever you want. Just give us enough notice and don't regulate the heck out of us. That's where I think we can go with this. Um, what about what about the book Food Fear? I sent you a copy. You liked it. But there's something you didn't like. Tell me what you liked and didn't like about Food Fear. Well, I think that you, I mean, you did a lot of things well. You told both sides of the story. I think you appeal to both audiences, both the ag audience and the consumer side of the audience. But I didn't see a lot of connection. And this is just a problem I've had with agriculture in general. You didn't make the connection of like, why is it an us versus them mentality? Because I think that agriculture takes that mentality a lot. Like, well, it's the farmers versus the consumers, but hello, we are consumers too. And I think that that mentality divides us even further. So I, th I would say that's one critique of the book, but. You know what else? You're right about that. And uh, I do actually do a, a big point about us not generally not understanding the activist groups. We as an industry have never re really fully gotten or comprehended that these activist groups, while they do oppose us, they would like us to not exist. The Humane Society would like the, the poultry producer and the hog farmers in Iowa to not exist. Um, the Environmental Working Group would like us to never have another ounce of uh, herbicide to spray. But what we kind of lose sight of is these are fundraising organizations. Oh yeah. Um, and if we would do a better job, Delaney, of saying, hey, it's us against them and and here's how we fight them, that would be better and say the consumer really should go after those groups, not us. But the thing that we do even worse, frankly, is we have an us against them within the facets of agriculture. Oh yeah. Organic fights conventional. Uh, and then Worse yet, <laughs> the commodity groups fight with each other. The potato people get maligned by the, you know, the sausage people, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. So is that what we're doing wrong? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to look at the commodity organizations, it's like the soybean association is fighting against the corn growers or the pork producers are fighting against the cattlemen's association. Like, why are we not working together? Because we shouldn't be having an us versus them mentality in agriculture. We're a dwindling population. We're like 1 million people, I think is like the number of farms. So why are we fighting amongst ourselves when we have 326 million other people that live in the United States that need to have some education, like quit fighting with each other. That makes absolutely no sense. Incidentally, it's two, two million and 40,000 farms, according okay. to the census of agriculture, and it's 3.4 million farmers. Um, and uh, I predict that those numbers are gonna continue to both decline, because they have been declining. We hit peak farm in 1935, and we had like 6.8 million farms in the US, and we've been declining ever since. Um, about fighting and infighting, uh, who's the worst? Of course, I think it's the beef people. They can't get along with anybody. They're like the dysfunctional old drunk uncle that comes to Thanksgiving and just just tries to start some shit. Am I right? 
I'm going to say the beef people because if you look at the commodity groups, there's three different, there's RCAF, there's U.S. Cattlemen's, and there's the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Like, why do we have to have three separate groups representing beef producers? And you were at that conference once when we talked here a couple of weeks ago in San Antonio, and I said, oh my, I said, be careful. You said, what? I said, oh. They, they, they do a lot of infighting there. And you said, I feel like that's every group in ag. And I said, I don't know. Those cattle people are worse. So you and I both agree. The cattle people are the most dysfunctional, disagreeable, show up at Thanksgiving, half drunk, and start a fight with the relatives kind of. That's who our beef, our cousins are, right? I mean, in full disclosure, I am a cattle person and I was raised on a cattle farm. So I don't think I should throw myself under the bus. But I mean, yeah, kind of. Oh, these people that are listening right now, half of them just decided that I was wrong and they want to fight me. And I'm like, oh, see? Yeah, see? Yeah. All right. So um, what we, what we, you said that, uh, you know, food fear, we talked about the us versus them. What do you see that we're doing wrong as an industry? You mean as far as communication goes? Or anything. Hmm. Oh, I mean, okay, let's go, let's go with your strength, which is communication. The business of agriculture, communication. What are we doing wrong? I know one thing, but I'll let you go first. So I don't know that this necessarily applies to agriculture, but it applies to lots of industries. But because of this stupid device that everybody has, a cell phone. Note to, yes, note to listener, I'm seeing her on video. Oh, she yes, just held sorry. up her cell phone, and she <laughs> forgot, as the broadcasting maven that she is, that you can't see over the radio. Go right. ahead. So because of this cell phone, our iPhones or Androids or whatever, everyone like Karen on Facebook now thinks that they're a reporter or that their opinion should influence everyone else's. Or, I mean, we have people that are called influencers on Instagram. How stupid is that? But because we have all of these people spewing their opinions or sharing their videos or whatever, I think that the message just gets further and further diluted. And I think we do need to tell our story in agriculture, but I don't know that we're doing it the most effective way because everybody just takes a picture and thinks that consumers should care, but they don't really give us a reason why they should care. That, my dear, is exactly where I was going to go with it. I've been around this for a long time. I have been called a advocate, which I say, please don't do that. It's not a word. It's like calling me a, a you know, mistinstigator or something. I don't know, you know, just a made up word. But anyway, we... I've been seeing this forever. You know, I've been around this racket for a long time. It became very, very popular. It became in vogue, I'm going to say, about 10 or so years ago. 10 to 15 years ago is when this whole tell your story thing got big. And here's the thing. I know lots of folks that are out there telling their story. And they use social media effectively to do so. And I know people that get paid to talk about telling your story. And that's fine. They all forget one crucial, crucial, critical component of the story. Why would anybody tune in to listen to your story? You just said that. What they're doing in too many cases is telling you how hard they work and, uh, and it's fine. It puts a person, it puts a face with it. This is my wife. This is my child. This is my husband. Here's my family. We're out here in Kansas. We grow, uh, uh, you know, sorghum and you know, whatever. That's all fine. Now, why does it matter to me? I'm the consumer in Naperville, Illinois. It's a suburb outside of, uh, it's a, it, a metro area of eight and a half million people. Tell me why I care. Because what we forget is that people care about themselves. Right. Never forget, humans are care about and are motivated by 
what serves them. They care about themselves. They are motivated to serve themselves. And so if you want to tell your story in agriculture, that is great. Now make it relevant and pertinent to me, the consumer. And I think that's really what we got to bear in mind. I agree. And so another podcast that we've had on our podcast, the Ag New Zealand podcast, has been Vance Crow. And he said something with me that resonated really well. And I think it would resonate with you too, Damien. He's like, all of the consumers care about whatever their hero's journey is, whether it's, I don't know, helping the environment or be healthier or whatever. Like they, everybody has their own hero's journey and we're not telling the story so that they can add their own hero's journey or have this feel good feeling at the end of the day, like they're helping someone or do something better. We're not communicating that well in agriculture. And I don't know, I don't have an, a suggestion on how you do that better, but I know that's what we need to do. Well, I know how to do it better. And I have a book called Do Business Better. I also have a podcast called Do Business Better, dear listener. This is a time for a commercial break here at this phase in this segment of the, of the Do Business, of the Ag, I'm sorry, the Business of Agriculture podcast. Be sure to check out my Do Business Better podcast. It's geared to entrepreneurs, self-employed, people that run their own business, people that, that desire to run their own endeavor. Here's the thing. What you just said actually is very accurate. And that's why a lot of folks that are in agriculture still think it's about producing commodity. And I say, look at what some of the niches are doing so well. They are doing the hero's journey. They are saying, when you come to Whole Foods and you buy this uh, number three, because remember in the meat counter at Whole Foods, they do, this is the highest ranked because it's cage-free, antibiotic-free, and by buying this, you're supporting a small uh, antibiotic-free pasture-raised pork producer. And while we might bristle at that, that's really done, that, th these niches within ag have done a job that we've never been able to do. They made their story pertinent to the customer, or at least their customer, and they made that customer feel like, oh, by buying this pasture-raised pork at Whole Foods that is humanely verified, it says it's humane verified, I now have done something good. And we have more room to sell good and feeling good than we realize. Yeah, and I think you kind of talk about this a little bit too, even with just what's the next label that's going to be coming out. I think you mentioned like single source verification of milk as one of your examples. Another one that I know is actually hitting the pipeline right now for consumers is beef quality assurance certified, meaning that these beef producers have passed some tests, they are doing things humanely, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're starting to get the idea that this is how we market our product. We have to put this spin on it to make the consumer feel like they're doing good or doing better. Um, but we're just really slow at adopting that idea. Yeah, and you know, people probably uh, listen to you and me and they think we're harshing on our, on our compatriots out here in ag. And, we we're we're from it. We are you. I mean, I'm I went back and bought a farm. I, I own 280 acres in Indiana, and I'm I'm all in, man. I just uh, you know I I'm a farm guy. Uh, I'm more giving you sometimes you've got it like a good coach. A good coach will pull you aside from whatever sport you're in, from volleyball to you know badminton, and say, Hey, you did a really good job, Delaney, uh, on how you returned that serve. Uh, here's what you did wrong. During the volley, <laughs> A, B, and C. That's how I look at it with agriculture. I'm close enough to it, but I'm also far enough removed from it that I can say, hey, you know what? 
we're killing it in terms of our productivity. We're killing it in terms of our using less uh, resources to make a product. Now here's what we're not doing a very good job of. We're not making our story about them. My buddy Bruce Turkel is a business speaker. Uh, he had an ad agency for 30 some years in uh, Miami. So he's a, not an ad guy by any means, but he has a book called All About Them. If you want your brand to succeed, you make your brand all about the customer. And it makes, as he always says, a great brand, a good brand makes your customers feel good. A great brand makes your customers feel good about themselves. We in agriculture, if we say, hey, by buying this, food. You are doing this wonderful thing for the environment. Now they've felt good about themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I want to agree or I want to reiterate that we're not bashing agriculture, but like, I just feel so passionately about it. I'm not going to use the word advocate, but I just feel very passionate about this industry and we're a dwindling group of people. And I just want to ensure that whatever I can do to help agriculture sustain itself longer that I'm going to help do that, whether it's telling agriculture story or giving folks messaging about the trade policy or whatever the situation is. But like, it's an industry that is one we can't live without because everybody needs to eat. And so I think there's a lot of things we're doing right, but I think we just need to tweak our message so that maybe we can bring new people back to the farm that have never farmed before. That would be fantastic in my idea. They might, and they'll probably need to either do it at a very large scale or they need to do it in a specialization scale because it's going to be, there's going to be two categories. Uh, I, I think there is opportunity. There'll be the person that, you know, I saw a story for crying out loud. It was on CBS Sunday morning about five months ago, and it was about somebody growing snails for the high-end restaurants for yeah. their escargot. And you can say, that's not agriculture. The person is producing food and he's doing it in a very small footprint. Uh, it doesn't, it didn't need, it didn't need 640 acres to, to start out. Uh, you know, there's that. Okay. So I said that what we do right is we do an amazing job of, uh, productivity and using less and less resources. What we do wrong is we don't make our story, their story, meaning the customers. What do you see that we're doing right? You said that what we're doing wrong. I already heard some of that. Uh, that we, we are, we're lining up with the uh, two sides, we're battling. What are we doing right? You've been all over, you've been to 22 countries, you travel around, what are we doing right? I mean, so at the end of the day, I think that the consumer should be happy and maybe this somehow needs to be their hero's journey, but like we have the safest food source in the United States. Like there's no question about it. I've been to a lot of other countries like Bulgaria. I studied abroad there for a semester and I never saw a cow the entire time I was in that country. And so it's like when there is beef on the menu in a country where I've never seen a cow, where are they getting that from? Is it really beef? Are they mislabeling something on the menu? Nice. <laughs> you know, and so I think that that's one thing we do really well is we produce a lot of food. We're really good at producing food and we're really good at producing food safely. So good job agriculture. But again, how do we communicate that to consumers? Because we pat ourselves on the back a lot too in doing so. Yeah, and one of the things that, you know, in my book, Food Fear, you saw, I talk about uh, the safety issue, as you just said. We've allowed the um, wacko extremes to tell us that our food isn't safe. And the reality is we have the safest food mm -hmm. in the world. We have uh, only 4.3%, we have 4.3% of the world's population, but like less than 1% of the world's foodborne illnesses occur here. So on a proportional level, we're way, way, way less than that. 3,000 people died last year 
because of foodborne illness. And you're like, Jesus, that's a lot, 3,000 people. There's 7,560 some people that die every day, and 10 of them are from food. And remember, about half of that isn't because of the source. It's because they mishandled it. They left it laying out on their couch and ate it. They didn't cook it right, whatever. So our food is extremely safe. And I, I agree with you that we should do a better job of, of pointing out that. Delaney Howell is her name. She's my guest. She's a smart lady. If these people want to connect with you, where are they going to find you, Delaney? Well, you can find our podcast, which you've been a guest on a few times, Ag News Daily, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or you can find us at agnewsdaily.com. I'm also very active on social media, so you can connect with me on Twitter at DelaneyHowell07. That's probably the best way to connect with me. And yeah, just look for some of my stuff online or elsewhere. All right. Closing thoughts. The business of agriculture uh, you and I have been around it. We, we see it. We see it from a different angle than sometimes others do because of our, uh, we're on a stage sometimes. You're on a recording or you're doing a report. Uh, you're on the media side of it. You get all around North America. Tell me, tell me something fun, something you've seen in the last three months that you said, man, that's good stuff right there. You want me to go first? I can't. Yeah, you go first. Let me think about that for a second. While you're thinking about it? Okay. What I saw recently was um, I saw, okay, potatoes. It's one of the, I, I love to talk about potatoes. Uh, it was about a year or so ago. And the amount of produce we get per acre out of potatoes. But the thing is, potato people uh, are out there just kind of in this little, little niche. It's like, wow, what the heck is that all about? So I like that one. Fish. I believe fish farming is going to grow. I've still yet to be on a fish farm, but I've read about them. I'm still looking for a fish farm to have on my podcast right here. Uh, interesting stuff that I have seen in the last month. I'm going to tell you about working in, uh, let's just say, dairy. Uh, dairy people are finally, I put this all over social media, heeding my warning that they have to become more of a consumer brand. That's something I get excited about for the first time ever. You decide I'm going to be a consumer brand. Uh, interesting stuff that I see that I've saw that I saw in the last year. Let's go with, mm, let me see here. Christmas trees, <laughs> Christmas trees. We finally might have been leveled off on people realizing, you know what? I'm going to buy a piece of plastic shit from China or I'm going to support American agriculture. I'm going to go with a Christmas tree. Those are things in the last three months that I've seen that I, I love to talk about with agriculture. Give me something for you, that you see that you want to talk about in agriculture. So, I mean, I see a lot of the same things too. And I think that there are a lot of producers doing things really differently, but I think hemp has been an interesting one that has really come to the forefront here for agriculture and talked to a really, really interesting hemp producer about uh, three, four weeks ago at the Iowa Power Farming Show, producing hemp out in Colorado area. And there are just so many moving parts to hemp that I didn't even realize. And I think a lot of people are getting ready to dip their toes in the water for that crop this year. But Gosh, there's a lot of moving parts. I respect anyone who wants to even try to grow hemp. It's definitely, uh, there's stories abound that uh, somebody produced it and then didn't get a market for it or got stiffed on it. So we, we know that the industry is so nascent. It's so, it's so undeveloped that there's going to be some hiccups. Um, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be the savior by any means. No, absolutely not. But I think there's going to be some money to be made after the marketplace gets a bit more established for it. Um, I would agree with that. 
Uh, I told you about my snail guy. Uh, other things that I see that, that I have seen here in the last year, something that did make me very excited. Uh, just last week, FFA kids came to one of my programs and I took a picture and put it on social media. And I think we're still doing a really good thing in this business where we take our young people and they have to learn how to judge. And judge doesn't mean judging other people, doesn't mean being judgmental. They have to learn how to logically articulate why they rated a soil or a pig uh, the way they did. When these young people that are 16 years old come up and shake my hand after a program where I'm sure a lot of 16 year old kids would be intimidated, uh, I think that we're doing something really well. And I felt so good about that. I always give them free crap and I say, you know, thanks a lot. And I, I remember once I was like at a Chicago airport or something, they're doing a gig in Spokane. The FFA kids were there and I said, are you going to lunch after this? Cause you gotta go back to school. Yeah. So I like, you know, went to the, instructor and said, can I buy their lunch for them? I think that we're doing a heck of a good thing there with our young people in agriculture. So I'm excited about that. So there's something I see. What else do you see? Come on, one more. I, say, I think just the amount of diversification that we're finally starting, whether it's hemp or snails. I met a woman a couple weeks ago who grew up on a very traditional farm and now has started a brand called Jiminy Crickets, where she's growing crickets and are basically employing other farmers to grow crickets for her that serve as a protein market, an alternative protein source. So I think that agriculture has never been savvier. I think that a lot of people are seeing the writing on the wall, seeing, seeing that consumer choices are changing and are making adjustments on their farm accordingly. Yeah, it's nice that we're, um, we're in a place where there's some experimentation uh, like the hemp, and also there's the open-mindedness to say, all right, maybe it is time to make the switch, you know? Uh, that's that's fantastic. Her name is Delaney Howell. She told you how to get a hold of her. My name is Damian Mason. Pick up your copy of Food Fear at DamianMason.com. It's in hardcover. It's an audiobook. It's also as an ebook, so you can get it any which way you want. It makes a great gift. Wait a minute, gift, it's not Christmas. Come on, people, uh, you just missed Valentine. Easter is coming up, and who doesn't want a copy of Food Fear for St. Val- for, for Patrick's Day, for crying out loud. Am I right, Delaney? Absolutely. Drink your green beer and read Food Fear. Closing thoughts. Agriculture has a bright future ahead, as long as we're the ones controlling the message. I love it. Till next time, thanks for being here, Delaney. Thanks for having me. It's the business of agriculture. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Business of Agriculture, please share it with your network. Be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear, or Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com.